Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Hey, uh, tell you what, can we do this? Uh, if you're a mom, if you're a mom in the room this morning, would you just lift your hand up really quick? We won't embarrass you any more than that. Look at that. Can we give them a hand and honor them for everything that they've done? Now, keep your hands up for another moment. Keep your hands up for another moment. Because these ladies in here have spent years of their lives not being able to go to the bathroom alone. <laughs> years. They have not had a hot meal in years. Really, you can put your hands down. We do. We appreciate you so much. We love you. We want to honor you today. And thank you for your sacrifice and for teaching us and showing us what it means uh, to be like Jesus and how much he loves each and every one of us. We see that in you. Um, you know, I know that uh, it's not always, though, a, a happy day on Mother's Day for some. It can be very difficult for some. So while we honor and appreciate and, and love and want to celebrate moms today, um, it's good for us to just note that in, on this day, it brings some pain for some, for some ladies. You know, Mother's Day, I, I guess Mother's Day today, it turns 102 years old, I think. It's been around for 102 years. A woman named Anna Jarvis, as I understand it, got it started. And it started because she had heard her mom pray a prayer often about how there, she wished that there could be a memorial day to commemorate all the sacrifices that moms make. And so it didn't, become, uh, it didn't become a day right away or holiday right away, but Woodrow Wilson signed it into law. And so it became this day. And just a couple short years afterwards, this woman, Anna Jarvis, she looked around at it and she saw all the commercialism that came almost immediately out of it. And she was discouraged about it and kind of wanted to get rid of it, honestly. And it kind of highlights for us that this day, sometimes it can just be difficult. It can just be strange. It can be hard. Maybe you have not been able to have children. Maybe you're estranged from your children. Maybe life just didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. Or maybe you've lost a child. We just want to let you know today that we appreciate and love you and celebrate you today too. For all the incredible things that God has put inside of you and all that he has made you to be and everything that you do to contribute, just like that video said, to mentoring and to mothering all of us. We love you. So today, can we just pray for moms and for these ladies? Can we do that together? So if you're a mom, one more time, just kind of just raise it up slow and just let somebody reach their hand over. Dads, kids, family members or not, just reach over and lay your hands on them. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for moms. We thank you for, for the blessing. We thank you that when we look at them, we see a picture of sacrifice and of beauty and of grace. We get a glimmer of you and it's incredible. So Lord, today we pray that you would bless these moms. Thank you for everything they've poured into us today as we do our best to try to celebrate them the best that we know how. And frankly, us men are pretty bad at it. But we pray that you would help us and help them to see the beauty in themselves. Help them to see the glory of what you've put inside of them. Help, me to, help them to see, God, the way that you use them in their families. Lord, we pray that you would bless them and today that you would reward them for all of the tireless hours that they've sacrificed for every one of us. And Lord Jesus, today we pray for every, every lady in this room, every woman, those who today look at Mother's Day and say it's discouraging or it's difficult or it's hard. And we pray today that you would be near them, that you would bring them courage, that you would bring them life, that you would heal the hurts in their hearts. Father, that you would walk closely with them today and help them to see the beauty in themselves. Help them to see the sacrifices that they give for others and all of the good things that you've put inside of them today. God, I pray their eyes would be opened, that you would comfort their hearts and that you would walk closely with them today. Lord, we celebrate every woman in this room and we thank you, thank you, thank you for giving them to us. Bless each one today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Are you ready to study the scriptures just a little bit today? 
Good, me too. Um, we're starting a new series today, and um, it's called Open Your Eyes, and we're going to be kind of camping out in Isaiah chapter 58 over the next several weeks together. And so I hope that you'll come on this journey with us, because uh, I think God wants to do some things and show us some things and, and open our eyes to a few things today. Um, so in the 80s, uh, the Chicago Bears were kind of at the, the top of their game, you know? It was a big deal. I mean, you got Ditka. That's, that's a big deal, right? Um, you've got... You've got William Refrigerator Perry, right? You've got this guy. You've got McMahon, Jim McMahon. You've, you've got these incredible characters that, <laughs> that some of us in the room know. Because um, <laughs> I looked them up this week. Um, and <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to be authentic today. I'm going to be real with you. Um, and so I love basketball. Anyway, um, so, 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 man, I just ruined this intro big time. <laughs> um, but they're at, the height of, they're at the height of their game. I mean, it's, it's a big deal, right? It's this dynasty kind of a thing. And um, so there's a story that goes that the, co- the coach, Ditke, gathered everybody together and before a big game, and he said, he got the chaplain in there, and he said, okay, guys, we're going to take a minute and pray. And the chaplain stepped forward, and he said, we're gonna, he's going to lead this time. And so um, we're going to begin by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. And so he stopped, and he said, uh, hey, Fridge, Fridge, would you lead us in the Lord's Prayer? And McMahon, McMahon, the quarterback, he, he said, oh, man, Fridge doesn't know that prayer. Are you kidding me? This dude has no idea. I bet, I, in fact, I bet you 50 bucks he can't recite the Lord's Prayer. And so the Fridge said, well, I don't, I, I don't I can do it. And so the chaplain, of course, he's starting to feel a little bit awkward as money's being exchanged, you know, <laughs> in the locker room over the prayer. Chaplain's feeling awkward, so he steps forward and says, okay, Fridge, would you, would you like to lead us? And the Fridge, he bowed his head, had all the fellows bow their head. <clears throat> cleared his throat and he said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I awake. And so he finished out the prayer and everybody looked up quietly and McMahon looked at him, reached in his pocket and said, man, I thought for sure he wouldn't know what that prayer was. <laughs> now, <laughs> might be urban legend, I don't know. But it highlights this idea for me that, you know, I think a lot of us have grown up with like that kind of stuff. We've grown up with prayer like this. We've grown up with the Lord's Prayer, in fact. And so many of us in the room today, we, we, can't, we know that prayer. We could recite it if we were asked to do so. Some of us in the room, we couldn't do that. But there's this thing that happens to me when I recite things over and over and over again, and I kind of lose the meaning of it. It just, I just becomes kind of rote. I just, I just keep saying it, and I lose the power of what I'm actually saying. You know, for instance, the word slacks. 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 I hate this word, by the way. It makes me mad. Slacks. It's like a gross word. Slacks. 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 As I say it over and over again, it loses its meaning. It's like, what are you saying, you weirdo? Kind of lose its meaning. I think some of this prayer gets lost like that. And in particular, I think there might be a phrase that we just kind of breeze past, and I don't want us to anymore. And it's right at the beginning when Jesus is teaching us to pray. He says, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this big, incredible, and powerful idea that I think sometimes we just breeze over. And today I want us to pause, and I want us to take a few moments to reflect on it and figure out what he's really teaching us to do here. As we start this new series, Open Your Eyes, I'm hoping, I'm praying that God's going to open our eyes to some of who he wants us to be over the coming years together. So 
So we're going to start in Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, but you may just want to go to Isaiah chapter 58. All these scriptures will be on the screen. But Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn's about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute, must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence and sleeping around and dissipation and bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. I love this phrase. I love that phrase right there. Be up and awake to what God is doing in verse 12. I think this is what we need to do. And I believe that in this next season of our church life, that this is what God is calling us to do. I'm so thankful for everything that has gone on around this church. You know, we're a little over a year old now and it's been an incredible and powerful and wonderful year. I mean, look around at all these incredible faces that are here. Just look, just look at them. Look, look, look at them. Smile at them. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. It's pretty incredible what's happened here over the past. And we're experiencing some growth. We had an incredible Easter. We had a whole bunch of people make decisions for Jesus. One chapel overall saw 55 people get baptized uh, just a couple weeks ago. I mean, great and wonderful things are happening. We've got stuff happening in student ministry and we've just built out the, the house, the healthest for some of you who are cooler than me. We've built the house out so that students can start meeting there this Wednesday night. They're gonna have a place to call their own. Like there's really cool and wonderful things that are happening. I hear stories all the time about the stuff that that God is doing in your life. But what happens to me is, I said, that's wonderful, and I celebrate that, and I'm so thankful, God, for everything that you're doing. But what's next? Like, what do you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? Uh, we're, I feel like we're, we're kind of waking up. We're saying to each other, hey, man, wake up. But what do you want us to do in response to everything that you're doing with us in this next season? So we're gonna camp out on Isaiah chapter 58. I'm gonna read a big chunk of scripture here, so go with me. In the message version, it says, shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. <laughs> Welcome to church, everybody. <laughs> Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side, but they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? What do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line is, on your fast days, the bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast I am after, a day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage, and then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. 
I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, <laughs> thank God. Strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy days for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. We could close up right here and just go home. Unfortunately for you, you don't get to. Have you ever seen these? I'm sure that you have. These, these little glow sticks, have you seen these? People use them at Halloween or different times, or I understand hunters use them, but I don't know much about that. Um, man, two blows to my self-esteem today. Huh? Um, had a bad self-esteem day. Uh, these, things are, these things are pretty cool, but they're kind of useless. Like as I hold it here right now, it just looks like a weird thing in my hand. It doesn't do anything. It makes no difference. Um, it doesn't help you see anything. We can all see fine. Even when it's activated, right? Like, even when it becomes activated and it starts to glow, okay, it's pretty cool, but, but still it doesn't do much because it's just sitting out here in the light. But when the lights go out, it becomes quite a bit different. It becomes quite a bit brighter. I can show you my face and look like a scary ghost. Like, I, ooh, uh, it starts to have a purpose. It starts to really help you see around. I think that this is kind of what this, this passage is talking about. This thing doesn't do any good when it's just hanging out as is, but once it's activated and it starts to glow, it needs to go to the dark in order for it to make a big difference. And here, I think this is what he's saying, Isaiah 58, 10, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. God's saying that he wants his light inside of us in such a way, just like these sticks, that our lives begin to glow. But when they start glowing, if we're going to be affected, we have to get out of the light and we have to get into the dark. And I think this is what he's asking us to do. I've read this passage, Isaiah 58, lots of times in my life. And every time I read it, I read, I think about all those great blessings and benefits that, I've, that I just read to you. All the cool stuff that God wants to do. But as I'm rereading it more recently, and as we're talking about it with Ross and Russ and other pastors from the communities, I'm starting to think about how, how probably something fundamental has been missing from our understanding of this. Kind of like I said at the beginning, we're breezing over some stuff. We're, we're missing out in our understanding of the gospel and the purpose and what we're really doing here. Dallas Willard says in his book, The Spirit of Disciplines, he says it this way, faith today is treated as something that only should make us different. Not that actually does or can make us different. In reality, we vainly struggle against the evils of this world, waiting to die and go to heaven. Some, somehow, we've gotten the idea that the essence of faith is entirely a mental and inward thing. I wonder how many of us, if we really sat for a moment and contemplated our faith, how much of us live this kind of faith? I can tell you that I've lived this kind of faith in, throughout my life from time to time. Where are we missing it? Where are the holes in our understanding of the gospel? This word gospel, it literally means glad tidings or good news. Glad tidings or good news. Like Webster's Dictionary defines gospel as glad tidings, especially concerning salvation and the kingdom of God as announced to the world by Christ. 
And listen, the reason why the gospel is such good news is because of Jesus' death and his resurrection and the fact that through that, he paid for every sin that you and I will ever commit and he provided a way for us to be reconciled back to God. This is, in fact, good news. And we should be pumped about that and we should celebrate that. But the good news that Jesus proclaimed, it, was a, it had a greater reach than that. It reached farther than just that, beyond salvation and forgiveness, beyond just those things. Because the gospel also signifies the coming of the kingdom of God. And sometimes we breeze past it. You, like me, have probably seen I don't know, some of the paraphernalia through the years that Christians, we like to turn out um, various bumper stickers, like, in case of rapture, my car will be unmanned, or things like that, you know, or, or Christian t-shirts, and um, all of these different things, that are, or, or those glorious church signs. Those are a joy. I really love those. Um, you've probably seen a bunch of that stuff, and I think through all of this, we tend to minimize this down to the bare requirements. Like, we reduce the gospel down to a single idea, I get to go to heaven when I die. That's not what it is. That's part of it. Some of us call this the, the minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven when I pass. I got my ticket, I'm not going to hell, that's good, then um, this becomes the good news of the gospel for us. The gospel is just giving your life to Jesus and waiting around until he shows up or I die and I get to go to heaven. Any of you watch Star Trek? Yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a Star Wars purist myself. Um, I like that more. Um, but, 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 I, but I've watched Star Trek many times in my life. And you, and you notice in Star Trek, like this is what happens. It doesn't matter who it is. Usually it's Kirk, but Kirk is on a planet fighting a really slow lizard man. I'm like, why can't you escape from that thing? It's, it's, he moves so slow. Or some weird monster and Kirk is all alone. Or anybody who just gets in trouble in Star Trek. And when it happens, what do they do? They make a call, kind of toss up a prayer. They kind of pull out the communicator, bloop, and they say, beam me up, Scotty. They're asking for help. They're asking to be able to escape the circumstances that they're in. I think we kind of view the gospel like this sometimes. The gospel is just kind of my, beam me up, Scotty, get me out of here. I need to leave. This is rough. I, I, got, I got to go somewhere else. And we've, we've reduced it to that single thing. I grew up in a faith tradition, which I'm thankful for, but kind of emphasized this. We had a, we had a beam me up, Scotty. Scotty? He's a new character. You know him yet. We had a beam me up, Scotty theology. I listen to my, parent, my grandparents a lot of times just talking about one day we're going to get out of this place. And that's, that's okay, good. And I'm thankful for that. I am thankful for that part of the good news. But Jesus never gathered his disciples all around and said, hey guys, listen, here's the bare minimum for you to get to heaven when you die. The, fact, the, the message that Jesus preached actually, and he preached it a lot, he said over and over and over again, really you could reduce it down to a phrase, he would say, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. He said it, I mean, it's, you can read it. It's 32 times in the book of Matthew alone we read this phrase. And as I know, it's 64 times throughout the New Testament. You can look at Luke 10, 9, the kingdom of God has come near you. Luke 10, 11, the kingdom of God has come near. Luke 21, 31, when these things happen, you know that the kingdom of God is near over and over and over again. In Matthew chapter four, repent, proclaiming the good news. Jesus was saying that regular, ordinary people like you and me have access to this kingdom. Yes. We, can, we can participate with it. We can bring it here. He speaks about in, in Acts chapter one, after the resurrection, before he ascends to heaven. Uh, he, the, the apostle Paul, he talks about it in Acts chapter 28, proclaiming the kingdom of God, he says, is the work that he's doing. And of course, as we already said, Jesus teaches us to pray this idea. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Matthew chapter six, 
He's not teaching, beam me up, Scotty, get me out of here. In fact, he's teaching us to pray, what's up there, come down here. Let, let heaven come crashing down into earth. Let heaven come crashing into my life. Let heaven come crashing into my family. Let heaven come crashing into my work. What's up there, come down here. This is the message that he would preach. It's more about what's up there coming down here. Tim Keller, a pastor and theologian, he said, Revelation 21 and 22 make it clear that the ultimate purpose of redemption is not to escape the material world, but to renew it. God's purpose is not only saving individuals, but also inaugurating a new world based on justice, peace, and love, not power, strife, and selfishness. Tony Campolo, another speaker and theologian, said God's kingdom is a new society that Jesus wants to create in this world within human history. Not after the second coming or future apocalypse or anything else, but right now. And he right, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. And if this wasn't enough, then Jesus ups the ante and he says, I want you to pray that this is going to happen. Seek his kingdom first, Matthew six thirty three, and everything else will be added to you. But what does this mean and how do we do it? And how are we supposed to pray and, and seek the kingdom above everything else? Hopefully we're gonna discover some of that over the next several weeks. What does it look like? How can we do it? It's a tall order to talk about that, but we can get started today. Jesus describes some of the characteristics of this new kingdom, this kingdom that would turn the existing world order upside down in Matthew chapter five and verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom that Jesus talked about was one in which the poor, the sick, the grieving, the cripples, the slaves, widows, orphans, lepers, aliens, those that Jesus would describe as the least of these, that they would be lifted up in this kingdom and that they would be embraced by God. I think somehow though, we, we, just, it's like we just think it's not gonna happen here or it's not supposed to happen here. It'll happen one day when we all get to heaven and what a glorious day that will be. We'll only experience that there's somehow this grand vision of the kingdom of God has been dimmed, it's been diminished, it's been put aside or it's been replaced or, or in many cases, it's just been forgotten. But here's the truth. Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God was a call. It was a call for what God wanted to do on earth today and for you to be a participant with it. Luke chapter four, verse 14 says, then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. I love this story. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. 
And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus lays out in this, this passage these great promises, these promises of God that, that those, would, those who would receive the Messiah and his coming kingdom would participate with. In essence, I think, I think this is fair to say, this is kind of like Jesus' mission statement for his life. Like here's, here's the first one, the proclamation of the good news of salvation. The proclamation of the good news of salvation. This is what we've already talked about. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's probably the piece that most of us are most familiar with, you know? This idea of, of the, the preaching the good news of salvation, this idea of being reconciled to God, God taking care of all of our sin and how anybody can receive this free gift through faith and by grace, by asking God's forgiveness and committing your life to Christ Jesus, your, your life is forever changed. Like this is the essence of like Billy Graham crusades, those incredible crusades through the years. This is the essence of like a campus crusade for Christ and the four spiritual laws. Any of you know who, what those are? One, two, three, okay, cool. We'll get together and have a party afterwards. Um, don't have time for those today, but Bill Bright and incredible stuff that they would do. Um, the Jesus film that's, been, that's gone all over the world in all, the different, in all different languages. I mean, just incredible evangelistic outreaches. Really, really important. These are tools. These are efforts, and they're highly effective at helping people be reconciled to God. Proclaiming the good news of God. Our sins can be forgiven if we commit our lives to Jesus. And millions and millions of people have committed their lives to Jesus as a result. But this is just a piece. Because the second part is compassion and healing for the sick and sorrowful. Verses 18 and 19 talks about, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and recovery of sight to the blind. These references indicate that the good news also includes a concern not just for our spiritual condition, but for our physical well-being as well. It's more encompassing perhaps than you thought. And when you look at Jesus' ministry, not only did he teach, about, teach people about the kingdom of God, but he demonstrated it. He demonstrated the kingdom of God by healing the diseased and lame, by showing empathy for the poor, by feeding the hungry, and by literally restoring sight to the blind. But this is just the second piece of Jesus' mission. The third is a commitment to justice. A commitment to justice. Again, verses 18 and 19 talk about to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Every one of these are a description. There's a scripture, they're a reference to Jesus' mission, to set free those who've been oppressed or been victimized by injustice. Whether it's political injustice, or social injustice, or economic injustice, it's what N.T. Wright and other authors call making things right making all things right. This is the work that God is doing in the world today. Bringing it together, making the world right, seeing justice come. So look at the three pieces. The proclamation of the good news of salvation, the compassion and healing of the sick and sorrowful, and the commitment to justice. This was Jesus' mission. And I think when you look at these, it gives you a better and a more clear picture of the whole gospel. And it's a foundation for something insane. It's a foundation for a, for a social revolution. It challenges the status quo that we live in. And it literally, quite literally, has the power to change the entire world. So if this was Jesus' mission, if this is the good news, then this is also the life mission of all of us who claim to follow him. This is what we're supposed to be about. It's my mission. It's your mission. It's the mission of this church family 
This is what we're supposed to be about. But somehow when it comes to the poor and the marginalized and the, the oppressed and, and the down and out, somehow I, I think we've turned a blind eye oftentimes in, in regards to these. It's, it's like we've taken the scriptures and we kind of browse through them. And we think, oh, that's, yeah, it's good. I like this part. I like this part about being saved. That's a good part. Um, I like this part about all the benefits that God gives me. That's cool. I see that God, oh, but this about the poor. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really, I don't, I don't really want to, do that part. I'm just going to kind of take part of that out. That, that feels a lot better now. I can read it. It's a little more accessible for me personally. Um, oh, yeah, this part about justice, that sounds like a lot of work for me. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to, I, got, I mean, I got a job, you know, I got, I got to keep my social media profile up and running. Um, I've got like, you know, 58 followers on Instagram. That's pretty big stuff. So I'm going to take that part out. Um, so yeah, this is better. I think this is better. This, I, can, I think I can follow this one. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Some of you are still freaking out because I just cut stuff out of the Bible. But, <laughs> but God is my judge, not you. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think our American Bible looks like that, though. Right. It's, it's worn, it's tattered, it's got holes in it. It barely holds together anymore because we've pushed some of this aside. And we've just looked at this one small aspect. I've felt for this past several months that God wants us to do more about this, that he wants us to put the pieces back in. And I confess to you that I don't know what that looks like and I don't know how to do it because like you, I've read that kind of Bible. (laughs) I've read that Bible for a lot of years of my life. But I wonder if you go on the journey with me and figure out what God might be saying to us about this, about living out the whole gospel, about not living out a Christianity based on an Americanized version of it. But what are we supposed to do and what is the whole picture of everything that he wants us to do? Richard Stearns, president of World Vision, he said it this way, we've shrunk Jesus to the size where he can save our soul, but now we don't believe that he can change the world. I mean, it's so small and personally, it fits right here, but, but he's so much bigger than that. And he has so much more for you and so much more for your family and so much more for the people that you go to work with every day. Listen, everybody, the kingdom of God, Jesus came to preach and demonstrate it. It's intended to change and challenge everything in your fallen world. Here, now. And when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he told them, pray it, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is not meant to be a way for us to leave, to get out of here, to leave the world. Instead, it's the means to actually redeem the world that we live in. And this is the work that we're supposed to do. There's a story in John chapter four as we close. Jesus is traveling. He's going with his disciples from Judea to Galilee. And Samaria is right between the two. Samaria is between Judea and Galilee. And there's a fierce and long-standing hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. It goes all the way back to the days of Joseph. So as a result, the Samaritans, they were publicly cursed in the Jewish synagogues. Samaritans, they couldn't serve as witnesses in Jewish courts. They weren't allowed that. And to the Jews, Samaritans were excluded from the afterlife. And they couldn't even be converted to Judaism. So Jews believed that they would become contaminated. The Jews would become contaminated just by passing through the area. So what they would do is they'd go around the area. They'd go around Samaria, even though it was fully out of their way to get from Judea to Galilee. So here in John chapter four, Jesus is traveling. He's traveling with his disciples from Judea to Galilee. 
And here's what verse four says. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I love that. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Truth is, as it was, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He didn't have to do it. All the rest of the Jews would go around. They'd go around Samaria into Galilee. But verse four, Jesus had to go through Samaria. In other words, something was happening. He was following the spirit of God and the spirit was telling him, I want you to go straight through this area, straight into the area that's undesirable to you, straight into the area that's undesirable to the Jews. And in the middle of this, this hostile and and undesirable land of Samaria, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And he asks her the unthinkable question in verse seven. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And then Jesus, he starts speaking into her life so pointedly. She begins to wonder, wait, is this this the, the promised Messiah? Is this him? Verse 27 Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So then Jesus tells his surprised and and very biased disciples. In verse 35, do you not say four months and more and then the harvest? Like you get that, you understand that timing. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest right Right here, right now. Who was he talking about? Who was the harvest he was speaking of? It was the Samaritans. These Samaritans were the harvest, but to the disciples, the Samaritans were loathed. They were the problem. They were the ones that they hated and they were the ones to avoid. They were the ones to watch out for. They were not who the disciples were looking for. They were the ones who were in the way. I think sometimes God does this and he appears to us in ways that that you think this is in the way for me. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not what I thought it should look like. Uh, You're looking for the harvest to be somewhere else. It's not here. It's not in my workplace. It's not in my family. It's something, God, you you must want to do something with me somewhere else. Not here. You're looking for the harvest to be something else. It looks different. I thought it was going to be this way. You're looking for the harvest to be somebody else. But this person is so much nicer than that person. But this issue is so much easier to tackle and deal with than this issue. But this injustice is a small one and this is a big one. It's inconvenient. It doesn't seem like what we should do. Jesus is saying the harvest is right here. It's in your neighborhood and it's in your family and it's in your workplace. It's right here. Look, everybody, the harvest is here, but it it might look like, it might show up and look like an inconvenience. (laughs) It might look like it's in your way. It might show up in line at H-E-B because there's a lot of people there. Just a lot. It probably won't show up in the parking lot because like that's the devil's playground, but, but maybe in the store. It might, it might show up while you're sitting and eating at the Hay City store. I mean, it, it, just, it, it might show up on your doorstep with a knock from your neighbor. And it's not, and it's going to look different than you thought it would. And I'm just talking about the harvest of being telling the story of Jesus, which is important for all of us. I'm talking about taking action with the Spirit of God, partnering with him to make something right, to bring justice where there's injustice, to bring healing where there's brokenness, to take care of the poor and the marginalized, stuff that we're not that great at. 
I think too often Christians are praying for revival and we're expecting God to bring people into our church. No doubt that's the prayer of many pastors. Just bring people here. Bring them in, I'll take care of them. That's That's not the point of this. This is the point where we all come together, we worship, we magnify his name, we get filled up with his spirit, and then we go out there. That's where the work is supposed to happen. But we go from here out to tomorrow morning and we read our cut up scriptures and we go to work and try to make it through the day where we're stressed out and we just aren't even in a position to even begin to look at all the things that he might be asking us to do. So the the result of this story in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Revival takes place because of this encounter. The kingdom of God, which Jesus came to preach and to demonstrate, it challenges and it's supposed to change every part of our world right here, right now. Why don't you guys come on back up? Yes, it requires that first we do repent of our sin and sinfulness. It requires that we totally surrender our individual lives to follow Jesus. And yeah, we know that this world will never be a perfect place. We all get that. In fact, if you read the story, you find that it's probably gonna get worse before it gets better. But knowing all of this, Jesus still says, I want you to go. I want you to go into the world and I want you to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God and that it's near. It's here. And this kingdom, it's been manifested in our lives as followers of Jesus. And it shows up when you lift up the poor and the marginalized. It shows up when you, inchall- when you challenge injustice or you find it. It shows up when you reject worldly values that are found within every culture. It shows up when you love your neighbor as yourself kingdom of God shows up, explodes on the scene. There's a pocket of God's kingdom in your family. There's a pocket of God's kingdom here. There's a pocket of God's kingdom expanding in your workplace. And when we do this, Isaiah chapter 58, going back as we close, it says in verse eight, do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. And then when you pray, God will answer. You call out for help and I'll say, here I am. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I'm not so concerned about those benefits today. I'm concerned that we as the One Chapel Kyle family would allow our lives to begin to glow. You've got a glow stick there in those cup holders beside you. If you haven't taken it out yet, just take it out and just crack it. Most of you have been playing with them the entire time that I've been talking. It's okay, I'm not offended. I get bored too, I kind of wished I had one. Just crack them. I know it's silly, I know it seems funny, but I just want you to remember that you're a part of this, that, that it's, not, it's not just me, it's not just the staff, it's not just Ross or Pastor Russ or this is you this is not my job I'm with you this is our job this is what we do and I want to confess to you something I said it already I don't know what this means like 
I don't have a plan. I don't have like, so at the end of this series, we're gonna do X, Y, Z together. I don't know what that is. Because what I'm praying is, as we start talking about this, the spirit of God will come alive inside of your heart and ideas will begin to come up out of you. And then it'll be much more grassroots and it'll take place in your neighborhood with your neighbors than it will be, we went to the school and shoveled some hay. Why is there hay at a school? I don't know. Grass would have been more appropriate. Now just take those and lift them up. Just take those and lift them. Just look. Imagine what happens. Think about what happens. I know it's silly. It's juvenile. But look at what happens. (laughs) You're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not just doing this by yourself. You've got a family. We can do this together. And imagine the impact that takes place across our city in this region if we all say yes to this together. Put those down. Bow your heads and close your eyes. There's a first step here for all of us. And that is that we would simply say yes to Jesus. The first part of this good news is in fact that he made a way for your broken relationship with God to be put back together. He paid for your sin once and for all so you don't have to, so don't pay for it anymore. Give it over to him. In order to receive his free gift of salvation and the work that he did on the cross to pay for your sins, you just have to say yes to him. So just surrender to him today. With your eyes closed, I wonder if there's anybody in the room today that just needs to take that first step before we go on in this journey. Would you just let me know by lifting your hand up? Maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the second, third time. Awesome, good for you. Who else? Just lift your hand up. Right on, good for you. Who else? I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I I gotta, this sounds great. I wanna get on board with this. Anybody else? Maybe you just need to come back. You've been distant, you've been far. Really good. Good for you. Just keep your hands up. Good for you. It's awesome. Anybody else want to join us? Let's all just pray this prayer together. And those of you who raised your hand, I want you to pray a prayer like this with me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. I surrender it. I don't want to live my own way. I don't want to live according to my standards or my rules. I want to live by yours. So right now I choose to believe in you, that you came and you lived on the earth and you performed miracles and you taught and you did incredible things and then you gave your life to pay for my sin. You were the sacrifice that paid for me so I don't have to pay the wages of sin. So I receive that today and I receive you. Would you come into my heart and be the Lord of my life? I give up my old way of life and I'm going to live yours. Receive me now. Forgive me now. Wash my sins away now. Be the Lord of my life. You're the king. You win. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, it's a great decision. Congratulations. Now from this point, we're gonna take a few moments, we're gonna worship together and we're gonna, we're gonna receive communion. Because the only way that this works, the only way this happens is because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. His body broken so that people could be healed. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins so that we could receive it. And when we take communion, we participate with it. We ingest it, it becomes a part of us. And we get to share it with the world. So would you share it with one another? Let's worship God. Take these elements, hold them together, and then we'll receive all at once at the end. Father, all over this room, we just pray that you would fill us up. Everything that we have, it comes from you. Everything that we do, it's through you from you, through you, to you are all things. Now would you fill up this body of believers 
this ragtag group of people looking to serve, seek, obey, do the things that you've called us to do. Today, would you fill in the gaps for us? Would you fill in the gaps where we've missed you? Would you fill in the gaps where our understanding of who you are and what you do and the good news that you've provided, would you today round us out a little more? Fill us with your spirit even now. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to receive the bread and the cup, symbolizing the body and, and the blood. This is something that we do in chapel pretty much every Sunday because we, we always want to end the day with him and his sacrifice. And so if this makes you uncomfortable in any way, if this is not your thing, you don't really know about this, what are we doing? That's okay. You don't feel any pressure to participate with us. But if you love and serve Jesus, Come on and join with us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat, and whenever you do, remember me. Let's receive his body together. Just receive the healing. Jesus Christ. Receive his work into your life. Receive his work into your family. Receive his work into your workplace. Receive healing in your mind. Receive healing in your body. Receive healing in your emotions. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, he took the cup. He blessed it. He said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take it and drink, and every time you do it, remember me. Let's receive him together. Receive the cleansing that only Jesus can bring. Receive the new life that he provides for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Today we receive you, but more than that, like it says in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians, we want to participate with you in all that you're doing. So lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, would you do me a favor? And as you leave, take those and just toss them in the trash on your way out. It's way cooler than dropping them in the blue cups because then the team has to clean those out and it's a little yucky. Um, hey, I want to ask you something kind of bold. Can I do that? I don't usually do this, but... Um, the national average for going to church is, you know, uh, one in every six, usually. <laughs> um, that's not funny? It's not funny? It's not funny. Um, and, I, and look, I don't, I don't think you've got to come here every Sunday to be part of the family. But I do think that we're about to go on some kind of a journey here. And um, if the national average holds up, many of you will see you again on like the sixth week when we're closing. It's cool. And you can catch up online and stuff. I just want to, I'm going to do a bold thing that I'll, I may never do again, but I just want to ask you if you'd come and join the journey with us. And just, just see. I miss one here and there, catch up online, but, but let's see. Let's open up our hearts. Let's see what God wants to do here. Let's let him propel us into a new thing as we go into the summer and fall. All right, I'm done. Um, hey, if you made a decision today, you raised your hand. I want to ask you, there's a, there's a gray card in there. It says, it says uh, I forget what it says. Oh, I have decided. And I'd love for you to just take a second and fill that out. 
give us your info and drop it off in the offering boxes. We're not doing anything weird. We just want to send you an email and help you maybe follow up. So you're going to give your tithes and offerings as part of your worship here. We believe that's something that all believers do. And it says, yep, I'm in on this family and it's worship to God. You can do that in three ways. You can do it as offering boxes out there. You can do it online at onechapel.com. Just click giving or you can go to onechapel.info actually and you can give right there through a push pay app. That's what most of us do, all right? These guys are down here because they want to pray with you. And it would be awesome if you'd come and let them do that. Fight the crowd, throw some elbows, like just get down here and let them agree with you and whatever it is that you're facing today, believing that the kingdom of God is going to invade it. Lastly, we're going to pray this prayer over one another before we go. Something else we do most Sundays that we gather. Would you pray it over the people that are around you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everybody. Have a great Sunday.